When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media, bringing you another episode of Pat's Daily, brought to you by our good friends at FanDuel Sportsbooks. More from them later. For now, I want to introduce the man, the myth, the legend, friend of the show, Mark Schofield, here to break down the Patriots quarterback situation, some offseason options in the free agency and the draft. I've been looking forward to the show all week. Very excited to kick this one off. But Mark, first and foremost, how are you doing, my friend? What's this part of the year been like for you? This part of the year is kind of crazy. Um, I know we just were sort of talking about it sort of in the football NFL space. When you get through the end of the season, you know, when a team season ends, like when the Patriots ends at the regular season, you get coaching changes and things like that, get to the Super Bowl, and then people start to tune out. And that sort of stretch from the end of the season to the combine really is kind of like a quiet time. Now there are always the diehards. There are, there are people going to be watching right now. I know that are excited about what things could look like next year and quarterback options and things like that. And I will say anytime you're covered a team that has QB questions, that's a good thing because people always want to talk about who the next quarterback is. Oh, yeah. There's that old say, look, the most popular player in most NFL cities is the backup quarterback. And, you know, Patriots fans have kind of lived through that for the past season or two. Uh, but it's an interesting time of the year in the NFL space. It's an interesting time for me because I go straight from the NFL into the F1 world. We've right. got preseason testing coming up. All the teams have launched their cars. It, it, we got Drive to Survive coming out. And so I was up in New York City with Williams so last week. They launched their car in New York City. I was in the Rainbow Room handing out with Alex Albon and Logan Sargent and James Fowles and trying to get over my quick fair fight. So it, <laughs> it, it's it's a crazy time of year for me. But my roots, my core, my, my, my foundation in this business, in this industry is talking about quarterbacks. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to do that. You're one of my favorite people in the absolute on the planet period, hands down. So anytime I get a chance to catch up with you, it's always fun. And I'm excited to chop it up. I appreciate it. You know the feelings mutual. You do a great job breaking down NFL and FS, oh, FS1. FS1. I know. I do, I do it too. Like, I, you know, try not to do it when I'm talking to a driver. Like, hey, what's it like being an FS1 driver? Try not to do that. Like, I get it. I do it. But you do a great job covering both at SB Nation. Want to give you a shout out there before we get into it. But – Let's get things underway. So before we get into the Patriots players at quarterback, first, we have to address the fact that Alex Van Pelt is now leading the Patriots offense, offensive coordinator. Now, for quarterbacks coach, it's going to be T.C. McCartney, who was the tight ends coach previously, but does have some brief experience with the Broncos as a quarterbacks coach, where he had Joe Flacco and Drew Locke. He also played quarterback at LSU, so he's got some experience there, but this is going to be Alex Van Pelt's system. So from your perspective, what does he bring? What changes are we going to see? And what's the impact? he's going to have on that quarterback room yeah i mean there's a couple of things to talk about here first um i love the idea and i've heard him described as a quarterback's quarterback coach like given his experience with the position his experience coaching wise as well and i think that's obviously look 
there may be a quarterback to develop here come late April, um, depending on what they do this offseason at the position. And so having somebody with that sort of experience, that sort of tagline that comes with them, I think is huge because if they are going down the sort of rookie developmental path, you want people in the room that have played the position that have coached the position. And that's why I look with the quarterback coach who you just walked through, having played the position, that's a huge part of it. Also jumping off from just the pure quarterback component to the offensive component. I love the fact that Van Pelt talks in recent days after the hire about sort of diversity with offensive philosophy, about molding not, you know, your players to the system you want to coach, but your system to the players that you're coaching. Because for years, and I've got a piece up on the wall talking about this, so many offenses, so many teams have tried to draft players and then fit them into what they want to do schematically. And that's just the, the it's the backwards approach. And I love the fact that Van Belt in recent days has talked about no, no, no. Our offensive philosophy, the system is going to be tailored to the players that we have and their skill sets. The days of like drafting a pocket quarterback and saying, yeah, you're going to run RPO stuff, they're, they're, they're gone. If they indeed draft a quarterback, Caleb, Drake, Jaden, whomever, the offense is going to be molded around their skill set, which I think is a huge thing. And I think that's backed up by his experience from a variety of coaching trees obviously Mike McCarthy on down, you know, he's sort of more, more known for that West coast horizontal based passing philosophy. But I think if you look at Cleveland last year and sort of what he was helping, now obviously it wasn't calm plays. And I know that's an issue. We could talk about that, but you see how Stefanski sort of evolved his offense in Cleveland these past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Stefanski more known for the outside zone, wide zone. And that's probably where Cleveland wanted to be. But as you, and as, Evan and, and others have sort of looked at this is an offense that evolved. This is an offense that suddenly was more gap power, pin pull, under center play action stuff, deep drops off of play action. They evolved their offensive philosophy to mirror the talent that they had, the players that they had. And let's not forget, look, they were they ended up coaching a quarterback that was watching the games from the couch like you and me and Joe Flacco by the end of the season. And they showed an ability to make that work. And so I think what Van Pelt is going to bring – is not just the background of a quarterback and somebody that's been with quarterbacks and helped quarterbacks develop, but this offensive philosophy that is versatile, that is going to have the ability, and they've shown the ability, he's shown the ability as a coach to evolve what they want to call to fit the players that they have. And that that's such a huge thing, particularly when, as the Patriots are, you're entering a season where quarterback's a question mark. Like, you mm -hmm. We don't know the direction they're going to go. They may decide to go the free agent route. And I know we're going to talk about some of those options. They may go the draft route. They may try to split the baby and bring in sort of a lower tier free agent option. And then a day two quarterback pick, mix them in with Bailey Zappi, say, perhaps, and see what sticks. In which case, you're going to have to mold it to a still unknown commodity at the position. But the fact that he's had that background in different offensive systems, and he's coming from a team that showed the ability to evolve, not just over the course of a couple of seasons, but over the course of a single season to multiple quarterbacks and multiple offensive philosophies. I think that's huge because, again, you're entering a period of the unknown, a voyage of the unknown at the quarterback position. You have to figure out and be able to adapt to that player once you decide who QP1 is.
And those philosophies, they're just hand in hand with what the Patriots have always been about. But also what Gerard Mayo said, like even when he was talking about, you know, what his philosophies and what he wanted to be. One, it's very clear that he wants to bring a different type of emotional energy where, you know, when they say breaking down silos, like they're literally breaking down walls inside the building. So the different departments are more integrated rather than and even we we heard that uh, behind the scenes, he was having scouts come into uh, his rooms and give information, which is something where Belichick, it was really more silent load and it's people doing their own thing but even more like you said the diversity of scheme where you never want to be a one-trick pony where you're relying on all right we're going to be wide zone and boots and that's all we do and then well you get some injuries and now it doesn't fit what you do and you're just banging your head against the wall every week so being able like you said to adapt if you have a running quarterback if you have a good quarterback but he's a pocket passer more than being able to tailor it because mm, yes Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think look this is a copycat league You know, teams are going to copy what works. And for years, like, look, if you stood in line at Starbucks next to Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, you were getting a head coaching interview on me because everybody wanted to look outside zone, wide zone. That's where the league is going. Like, we have to get people in the building that run that stuff. Benjamin Solak at the Ritter did a fantastic piece pre-Super Bowl about, hey, we all talk about the Shanahan offense. Guess who's not running it? Kyle Shanahan. That (laughs) offense evolved. You look at, okay, you take the first Super Bowl between the Niners and the Chiefs, right? A couple of years ago, you know, 2020. That year, Mahomes averaged, I think, 8.6 yards per attempt as a passer. That was down to 6.6 this year. Like, he was 14th in the NFL when these teams, two teams met two year, four years ago. 40th in the NFL in intended air yards per attempt this year. He evolved. This is Patrick Mahomes we're talking about. Everybody that is listening to this right now or watching this later when it comes out on YouTube and elsewhere, you know what the Patriots offense looked like the year they beat the Rams in Super Bowl 53, right? And that was a that wasn't the Brady offenses of old where they're going to spread you out and it was going to be 60 throws a game. That was a 21 personnel offense that leaned into some different designs. You have to be able to adapt, whether it's season to season or sometimes like that Patriots team in 50, the Super Bowl 53 year. Over the course of a year, over the course of a playoff run, you have to be able to adapt. The two teams that advanced to the Super Bowl this year adapted their offenses to sort of fit Brock Purdy, to fit what the Chiefs had at the receiver positions and where Mahomes was and what their offensive line was doing. So the fact that sort of versatility, schematic diversity, has been stressed since the hiring of Mayo, since the hiring of Van Pelt, makes me very optimistic about this team going forward. It might take some time. Let's remember that, you know, there are no miracles built overnight for the most part in the NFL, but I like the direction and I like the vision. I like what they're saying right now. Yeah, and you mentioned McVeigh and Shanahan. I know the pinnacle of what they do and what everybody kind of talks about is the motion, and there is innovation, and there's absolutely something to that, and being able to be ahead of the curve and have people try to catch up to you. But also what they're praised for is their communication and the fact that they aren't stagnant. And then I only know this because I worked for NextGen and was just kind of had all the information at my disposal, but seeing like the Rams, one of the heaviest duo teams over the past couple of years, no one talks about that. It's all, oh, they run a bunch of wide zone. That's the core. But I think it was the Patriots were the only team that ran more duo last year. So, and like you said, with the 49ers and all the gaff schemes. So it's saying, okay, this may not work for us anymore because now teams are playing this. How do we evolve? I love that part of it. Now, in terms of play calling, you touched on that part. I saw a transcript when Van Pelt first uh, became the OC for the Browns. And he was asked, are you going to call plays? 
And he, I think he understood that Stefanski was going to do it, but he said, I could easily call plays, which I didn't expect for him to say something like that when he didn't. This was before the playoff game when with Baker Mayfield, when Stefanski yeah. couldn't play so or couldn't coach. So from your perspective, do you think the play calling aspect is overrated, especially from a former quarterback? Or do you think there's still a significant amount of merit and we're going to have to kind of wait and see? I mean, I think there's merit in the you know general idea that calling plays is not just like ordering off a menu at a restaurant. I mean, I know a lot of the places these days look like a menu at, say, a, your, your favorite 24-hour diner where they can do fettuccine Alfredo on one hand or just like steak and eggs on another. Like they can do it all. And you've got this huge sheet in front of you. You have to have an ability to think 10 moves ahead like you're playing chess, right? You have to be able to call some things even knowing that it might not work at the moment to set up something else later in the drive, later in the game, later in the season even. And so there is sort of an art to it. But I also think that given his experience, given what he did for Cleveland, which sort of put together some scripts, put together some red zone stuff, like he's going to have a feel for it. He's going to have that feel for putting together the script at 15, knowing what they want to, what looks they want to get from a defense to set up stuff they want to do down the road. And so I think he's got the foundational ability to, to be a very good effective play caller in the NFL. The next step is then, you know, and as you said, he's done it before. He's called plays in two games when Stefanski couldn't. So he's got a feel for it. He's got some experience doing it. So I, I think it's just going to be a matter of getting into a couple of NFL games and getting, okay, here's a full set of, you know, scripted plays into the open play situation of the game where you get a feel for it. And so, again, I'm confident that he can go into this season having not fully called a season's worth of plays before and do it extremely well because of his experience because of his experience in building out red zone stuff, script stuff for the Browns and elsewhere, that he can do it well. So last thing I'm going to touch on in terms of the staff, and this is, you know, you don't have to get too deep into the weeds here, but Ben McAdoo, like you mentioned the value of having somebody really understands a quarterback position if they bring in someone who's new. And I know everything went around about Ben McAdoo, how he wanted to trade up for Mahomes and he had his rankings. And it looks like he's someone who values talent more than just necessarily a finished product. So what were your thoughts on his acquisition? Because given the struggles he's had, I know a lot of people weren't very happy about the move. We also have to look at, okay, yes, he struggled, but also look at why he even became the Giants head coach and what he did before then in his evaluation. So what are your thoughts on him, what he brings, and just any nuggets that you might have? I was extremely excited about this, and I've heard from people that have worked with him, um, you know, even post-Giants era, just on the side and things like that, that he has a really good eye for quarterback evaluation and quarterback development. And I think this is important because, again, we don't know what road they're going down. But if they do indeed go down the rookie quarterback path, I'm excited to have this voice in the room. I'm excited to have his experience working with quarterbacks. And look, some people aren't built to be a head coach. They're just not. I mean, I think a great recent example is Ben Johnson. Everybody thought, and I put myself on this list as well, as, oh, he's going to make a great head coach. Like Washington would be brilliant to go out and hire him as their next head coach, especially if they're going to draft a quarterback at two, which may impact what happens at three. Um, but look, he went back to Detroit for the second year in a row after being strongly linked with the Carolina job and the first overall pick a season ago, he wants to call plays. Some people recognize that, look, I'm just, I'm better off as a play caller. And I think Ben McAdoo might be better off as QB coach, offensive coordinator, that type of role. But the fact that they added him in and that he's going to be another voice makes me think and makes me believe that if they do go down the rookie 
you know, at three or at some point early in this draft, if they go down that road, his voice will be critical to have in the building. Excited to finally hear some positivity about the McAdoo Stokes. We yeah, already I'm excited about it. <laughs> I'm excited about it. I understand a lot of the mis- misgivings. I don't understand a lot of the apprehension, but they, they didn't hire him to be a head coach. Like they hired him to work with the offense and I believe work with a potential rookie quarterback. That part I'm very excited about. Had it been the hire at head coach, yeah, I'd probably be along with everybody else. Like, eh, I don't know about this. <laughs> But they didn't. And, and look, this is going if they do indeed go down that quarterback road, that rookie quarterback road, you're going to want as many voices as you can helping that player develop. I mean, look, let's be honest. We're coming out of a rookie quarterback window where it didn't work. And they tried an offensive coordinator. Then they tried a defensive coordinator slash defensive minded head coach as the offensive coordinator. And then they went back and got Bill O'Brien to come in and try to fix it. And we, talked ourselves into it last year. I remember talking with you about it, like, oh, this is going to work, and it didn't. Like, Mm. they're trying a new approach here with more voices in the room. I like that they're doing something different here as opposed to what they've tried these past three years with Mac Jones. You mentioned Bill O'Brien. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. But from your perspective, what do you think? Because I thought that he got a raw deal. You know, he didn't wasn't really able to bring on many members of his staff. At least that was reported, even if not. it. We do know that Will Long was the only guy we had connections with who was on the staff. And we also found out that he told Gerard that he wanted him to build out a staff that he wanted. He, you know, he didn't want to end up being a holdover. So in terms of the Bill O'Brien era, what do you think might've gone wrong where maybe he didn't necessarily help the offense? And also because now he's the head coach of BC, what do you think he brings to another local? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously he brings a wealth of offensive coaching experience, which I think, you know, you look at some of the places he's coached before and some of the quarterbacks he's worked with and helped, get better versions of them on the field, you know, Houston and other places. I think that's certainly something he's going to bring to the table. I think generally speaking, the offense that he called before and the offense that he sort of put on the field at Alabama is going to fit well in the college game. I think where it's sort of went wrong, I mean, look, let's just say this. Schematically, from an execution standpoint and from an X's and O's standpoint, the offense was miles ahead of where it was two seasons ago in New England. I mean, I think you would agree with that. I know other people like the Dan Orlovskis and the Kurt Warners of the world you know, were so down on the Matt Patricia offense and a lack of identity, a lack of cohesion, a lack of attention to details. You saw more of that this year. Now, it didn't translate to wins. It didn't translate into success for Mac Jones. And now we're going down the road of potentially restarting the quarterback clock with another rookie. So there were things that didn't work out, and that might be more personnel-wise. And maybe the fact that he didn't get to bring some of the staff that he wanted to to help in some of these areas, that could have also played a role. But I I am excited about what it might look like at BC. You know, it'd be nice to see BC sort of return to the forefront of what it once was at times. You know, I grew up Doug Flutie. You know, I grew up wanting to be Doug Flutie and wanted to wear 22. And, you know, to see that golden helmet and the maroon and gold, like, farewell again would be very excited so i'm excited to see what it could look like i think again the the offense took some steps forward from a conceptual standpoint from a play calling standpoint it was miles ahead of where it was two seasons ago the results just didn't come out and whether it was the offensive line mac jones or as we've talked about before on and offline like just a constellation of problems that's probably far more likely than anything else Beautifully put, as always. All right, we're going to shift from staff perspective to a player perspective. But first, quick word from our friends at FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. 
because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's 150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, so I believe it was last weekend that Ian Rappaport reported that officially Mac Jones is a trade candidate, likely going to be somewhere else in 2024. We talked about how last year it was really more personnel-based uh, than 2022, obviously, the coaching, mish- coaching mishap where you have a defensive mind coaching your offense and your offensive line and then a special teams coach coaching quarterbacks. Of course, while Mac's kind of su- uh, surrounding situation didn't help him out, his response to it wasn't great. And I think that bottom line is why we're going to see him likely with another team. Because as unfair as things were, he wasn't able to overcome that diversity. In some ways, he might have made it worse. But do you think if he is able to go on to greener pastures, Mac Jones can still revive his career and kind of become the quarterback people expected when he was coming out of college? I think so. I think there's a possibility of that happening. But it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take some time. And this is not a scenario where I could envision Mac Jones going to team to be named later and immediately becoming a starter for week one of next season and having success. It might take a season or two maybe of him sort of taking a step back, sitting, observing, and watching, and learning again, You know, learning what it takes to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and to play a position, to execute at a position – where it's not just and we've talked about this idea before you know the the general draft nfl football evaluation for a player is snap to whistle right like you're watching the the player over the course of an entire play can they you know even pre-snap to whistle can they read their assignment can they execute their assignment do they have the physical capability to then carry out the assignment think about a tackle and a guard can they spot a stunt or a late blitz or something like that pre-snap can they communicate as you mentioned communication over the course of play can they then finish the block right quarterbacks a monday morning to sunday night job like you've got to be the face of a franchise you've got to be the leader of the team you've got to practice and prep and do all of that stuff all while the entire eyes of the organization and the fan base are watching you and there were times when he did it right and there were times when he didn't and you think about i'll use an example one of the things that was always sort of a question mark with him pre-snap pressure identification because as somebody with we can just say sort of and maybe he showed a little bit more as a rookie in this area but you know He's not the world's greatest athlete. I think we can fairly say that. He has to be ahead of pressure schemes with his mind. There were times when he did it well at Alabama. I think about one of his opening drives against Notre Dame where he saw a pre-snap pressure look. He knew that it wasn't going to get blocked up. He spun away from it as the play unfolded and was able to make a throw to move the chains. Then you see him against teams like Atlanta and other teams that it, that showed him some different pre-snap pressure looks, and he wasn't able to stay ahead with, with his mind. 
you got to do that foundational work so you can stay ahead of it with your mind if you're a player, if you're a quarterback like Mac Jones. And so it might take some time. Where could that happen? I don't know. I mean, I, I saw somebody, somebody, Andy Hart wrote the like sort of Mac to the Jets, Zach Wilson to the Patriots, who says no column. But taking the Zach Wilson portion of that aside, <laughs> Mac Jones sitting learning from Aaron Rodgers, that wouldn't be a bad thing for him. You know, because there's a quarterback who at this point in his career is not the athlete he once was. So he can help him. These are the things you have to look for. These are how you can stay ahead of things with your, with your mind. I think if he, if Mac is going to revive his career, it's going to be in a spot like that where he can learn from a veteran quarterback who at this point in their career, not that I think many starting quarterbacks would sort of start looking over their shoulder if Mac Jones comes to town. But somebody that's willing to sort of take them, uh, take Mac under their wing and say, look, this, these are the things you need to learn. So can he revive his career? I think so. It might take some time. The benefit he has is draft capital. Because at the end of the day, an organization is going to look at it and say, Bill Belichick drafted him in the first round. Like that's going to help him. You know, it's not like a guy that was drafted third round or drafted on day three where you're suddenly like, oh, we're going to like, invest time and effort into this player probably not bill belichick draft drafting mac jones in the first round is gonna get him a second look might get him a second look from a couple of different teams you know that's going to carry some weight draft capital plays a big role in this it plays a role in the coach him up itis a team's going to look at him a team's going to look at zach wilson and say they were first round quarterbacks like we should we can fix them now mm -hmm. whether they can or not remains to be seen so i think he'll get another shot I think he can revive his career. I think it might take some time. I like that you brought up draft capital. I might be totally wrong on this. From my perspective, I'm thinking, all right, Mac looked is like worse than he's looked in his entire football career last season. And then you add on top of the fact that Bill Belichick no longer has a job. And part of that, it sounds like, was people were like, ah, he wants control, but his track record is really spotty. Yeah. I'm curious, what do you think they would get back in trade capital? Because I was thinking, like, I, I went on like for like a week saying that Mac Jones might actually brought his career under Van Pelt because you hear about what Van Pelt did with uh, Andy Dalton, with Baker Mayfield, how he also was a quarterback. He wasn't terribly physically gifted, but one with his mind and just with great coaching that kind of got him to fit into a system. I was like, oh, that sounds like the perfect Mac Jones revival arc. It sounds like it was more behind the scenes things where it's like, all right, we kind of need a clean slate. So, and also I was figuring, okay, you need to increase his capital or his value because right now you have a former first round pick who I thought would go for like at best a fifth round pick. So what do you think he could realistically go for? Do you think it could be something like a third or fourth rounder or I, you know, off, off the cuff here, like a fourth, it could be a conditional three that probably won't get met because it would be a condition of he has to play X amount of games this season and he won't like, so you're probably looking at a day three pick for Matt Jones. And in, in the best case scenario, he lets up in an environment where, you know, let's say they trade him to the Raiders, you know, and the Raiders enter this season, you know, because of where they ended up, maybe they don't draft a QB in the first round. And so it's a battle of Aiden O'Connell and, Spencer Rattler and Mac Jones, and maybe somehow Mac Jones ends up winning that job or at least winning QB2 and then plays a lot. Like, yeah, maybe in that world, you could get that fourth turn into a third. But I think it's far more likely you're looking at a day three pick, fourth, fifth round for Mac Jones, which, again, like you said, and you put it perfectly, Taylor, we saw the worst version of Mac Jones last year. I mean, he made mistakes that middle school quarterbacks don't make. 
And it's because, look, he was fighting quicksand. He was he was looking over his shoulder. He knew what everybody was saying about Bailey Zappi, and he knew he was fighting for his job. And in the as a result of fighting for his job, he lost his job. When you're, as Edelman pointed out, like making throws across the field, late in the down, rolling to your right, that's not your game, Mac Jones. Like, that's not. Like, your game is winning from the pocket, getting the ball out quickly, winning with accuracy and touch and things like that. Those aren't your types of throws, but he felt so much pressure to keep his job. He ended up losing his job as a result. Yeah, it was unfortunate. All right. Now, another quarterback, speaking of the guy who is hot on his heels, you mentioned Bailey Zappi earlier, someone who could maybe be part of that QB conversation this season. So I don't think anybody expected what we saw from Bailey Zappi. Personally, I didn't think that Mac was going to lose his job until it got to the point where he lost the team which check, yeah. or he completely lost confidence and it got to the point where he couldn't function, check. And then we see Bailey Zappi come in, obviously was put in some really bad spots when he came in for Mac before and did not impress. You could see that they kind of put the training wheels on him and he still wasn't really playing some good football. But after that Chargers game, I felt like you started to see, oh, he's opening up the offense. He's actually throwing downfield. He doesn't have that, like he's not spooked because he hasn't had to face the pass rush the same way that Mac has. But at the same time, Streaky play, quick game, maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent, still turn the ball over at a very high rate. A lot of things that you look and you say, I don't want this guy starting for my team. But you also take into account, well, he didn't have Ramondre Stevenson, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne. Like the good pieces that the offense did have outside of Demario Douglas, he mostly played without. So do you think it's fair to expect Bailey Zappi to be an actual part of the QB1 competition? Or do you think maybe they do a hard reset? Because honestly, I'm having a hard time gauging it. I feel like he's going to be on the team and pushing for the job. But again, I'm just not sure if that's the route they want to go down or if they want to Yeah, and I think a lot of it depends on the route they go here at quarterback. Like I could see a couple of different scenarios where they keep him because I honestly think that like his best role in the NFL is backup spot starter. And I think he's shown an ability to serve in that role. And that is a very important role, at least in my mind for the NFL today. Like you, and today's it, I know that the old saws about, you know, we don't practice bleeped, you know, you think about the Colts and Peyton Manning, they don't practice their backup because if he goes down the team's, it's a sunk ship. Like you can't do that in today's NFL. You have to have a viable option at the quarterback position. Again, look at the San Francisco 49ers and the Brock Purdy story. Like you want to have an option there. And so I think, look, he's shown an ability to come in and start and keep the team afloat if the starter goes down. Like I think if you have – if we're in a world where they draft a QB at three, it doesn't matter who it is. You're drafting that player at three to be the quarterback for the next 10 years, not the next 10 games. Mm-hmm. And so there may come times where even if that hypothetical QB won as a rookie, whoever it is, Caleb, Drake, Jaden, if they do go down this road, you might have to sit them down to protect themselves. And I I think about Drew Brees in San Diego with the Chargers early in his career under Marty Marty Schottenheimer. There were times when he would sit him down. He would say, we're getting blown out, and I'm seeing bad habits creep into your play right now. I'm sitting you down to protect yourself. If this was a one-score game, you're still my guy. You'd be out there. But I got to make sure we don't ruin you. You might need to do that in a world with a Jaden Daniels, with a Caleb Williams, with a Drake May. You want to make sure you get it right. You don't want to repeat the mistakes we just lived through these past three years. And so you would want somebody that can come in on a spot start or in the middle of a game 
and sort of keep the team afloat. And I think he can do that. I also think, look, if you go down a veteran QB road, somebody that might not know the system as well as, say, Bailey Zappi, although I know with a new offensive coordinator, it might be a whole change with the offensive philosophy. And so they'd all be starting with a clean slate. But you'd still want somebody that, in a hypothetical world where suddenly Kirk Cousins is the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots next season, coming off of an Achilles injury where he lost the bulk of the year, you want a viable option at QB2. And Zappi has shown you he can be that quarterback. And so I think down either path, Taylor, there's a role for Bailey Zappi on this team. Now, they may ultimately do that hard reset. They may ultimately decide, look, we're going to sign a veteran and we're going to draft a QB. And those two will be our QB1 and 2 option. And maybe there's a world where... Gardner Minshew is backing up Jaden Daniels next year. I mean, they could go down that road, but I think there's also a road where it's Bailey Zappi as your QB2 spot starter type behind either a veteran they bring in or a rookie that they draft. And I'm actually curious what your thoughts are on sitting rookie quarterbacks, no matter how high you draft them in the first year. Because with Elliott yeah. Wolf in that Packers history, that's what they really like. Obviously, it helps when you have Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers, and you have the flexibility to say, yeah. we're going to sit you down for a while. But at the same time, we've also seen it have success with Mahomes, with Lamar Jackson. Of course, you have guys like Burrow and CJ Stroud who come in, and it's just like, yep, lights out. They're already killing it. But it feels like, and I understand why quarterback is such an important position. Some teams are desperate and they really don't want to go the route of, you know, let me sit this guy, have a veteran. It's really is going to be a bridge here. But how valuable do you think it is to give young guys a year to get the mechanics down, understand the offense, to really be able to hone those things before they're thrown into the fire? Yeah, it, it's such a, we could probably go for two hours on this topic. <laughs> it, it, it's something that I've thought about so much these past couple of years because we know the way that the economics of the game have changed to the point where if you got a rookie, you want to run them out there because you want to see if you have a star, a viable starting quarterback option in the NFL. And then you get to milk every day you can out of that rookie quarterback window before you have to then pay them. And so I understand the impetus to play the quarterbacks early. I also stand part of it is because if you don't have the guy, it's you want to move on from them quickly and start over. Like, and so there's this push to get rookies onto the field and some rookies are able to handle it. Joe Burrow, for example, some rookies might need some time and people point to Patrick Mahomes as an example there. I think you have to sort of go by it on a case by case basis. I think some rookies can come in and play right away. Obviously Stroud's an example there. Burrow's an example. Some rookies do need some time. I mean, there were things that Patrick Mahomes had to learn in order to become Patrick Mahomes, right? Mm -hmm. He came into a situation where, as we learned from Alex Smith a couple of weeks ago when he was on a podcast and talked about how even before Mahomes was coming out, the, the front office was coming into the quarterback room and said, you guys got to see this kid. Like, this kid's ridiculous. So Smith knew that, like, once they turned in the card and traded up for him, he knew that, like, his time was numbered, but he took him in, took him under his belt, picked him up in the morning. Worked out with him, taught him how to watch film, went through the process of teaching Mahomes. He didn't have to teach Mahomes how to make off-platform throws or create outside the pocket. Alex Smith had to teach Mahomes how to be a quarterback on Monday morning, how to be a quarterback on Tuesday afternoon. That part of playing the position, which we talked about earlier. Some veteran quarterbacks are able to do that, willing to do that. And then with like Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco, they're not. And so there's like a case-by-case -case basis here. But I think you have to have, as an organization right now, a willingness to sit them down. Like, if they do draft a quarterback and they decide coming out of training camp that, look, this quarterback we've drafted at three overall or wherever they do it in the draft, 
is going to be our best option to win games out of the gate. Great. But as I said, you draft a quarterback at the top of the draft for the next 10 years, not the next 10 games. And so if that hypothetical quarterback struggles and not just like with interceptions and mistakes, but I mean, bad habits are creeping in bad habits. Like we've seen from Mac Jones in recent years, you have to have the, the willingness. And sometimes it's a unpopular decision in the, around the town and in the media. And if you do people like me might crush you for it, but you have to have the willingness to come in and say, look, you're hurting yourself right now. Bad habits are creeping in. We need to sit you down for a drive or a game or a half or whatever it is. So we make sure that we get the best version of you for the next 10 years and we don't ruin you over these next 10 games. And so there's, it's a case by case thing. I think that conversation, if they do indeed draft a rookie, you know, draft a quarterback early in the draft might get honed out over the course of training camp where they come to a decision where they're just not ready. They don't feel comfortable. They feel if they run him out there for week one, bad habits might set in. Or they might say, look, this is our best option to win games. And we still think that like bad habits haven't set in yet. But you have to have that ability, that willingness, that confidence in your decision making as an organization to, if those bad habits do creep in, to sit them down so they don't develop into muscle memory type bad habits where you're talking about we're going down this road three years from now yet again. I have a couple ways I want to go from here. I have obviously I have my script, but I also because we mentioned the Brock Purdy, so now it's got me thinking. I would love your perspective on this, and I also like with the veteran quarterbacks you mentioned Don't, having the mentors. Taylor, if you're going to ask me to wade into the Brock Purdy discourse, I'm turning not the mic specifically off. him. Okay, not okay, specifically okay. him. I will not. Look, no, 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 no. We've no. got seven months <laughs> of Brock Purdy discourse ahead of us, thanks to how that Super Bowl went down. And I will just say, quick story. You know the Brock Purdy discourse has broken out of just the football world when i'm in the rainbow room in new york city talking to logan Sargent, he's like yeah i'm rooting for brock purdy because he gets more hate than i think he deserves and it's like i can't get away from the nfl world i go into the <laughs> f1 world for an afternoon and we're back to the brock purdy discourse like it's a thing it's it's a thing i promise you it will not be specifically him i will I'll just more of the discourse that we had going into the super bowl about yeah. whether you need the guy to win or whether you can have an amazing supporting cast with a quarterback i'd say like a purdy who is that game manager type but also kind of that plus where if he has to make plays outside of structure or you know you need him to do something in a big moment i think that's where purdy doesn't get enough credit necessarily yeah. so if you're talking about that kind of guy we're like he's no mahomes he's no lamar jackson but if you need a big play he's capable of mustering it do you agree with the discourse that you need a Mahomes or a Josh Allen or like a freak athlete to win these Super Bowls and win championships and contend? Or do you still think you can do it with a quality quarterback who's surrounded with strong offensive line and good receivers and running game? I, I still think you can win Super Bowls with a good plus quarterback like Brock Purdy. But having a Mahomes makes it a whole heck of a lot easier. Like, <laughs> and, and, and if you're talking about, you know, putting yourself as an organization on a path to having, you know, the easiest path to win a Super Bowl, having a Mahomes type quarterback certainly puts you on an easier glide path to that. Now, look, Purdy was not the reason that they lost that game. Thank you. Okay. But if you had a Mahomes type quarterback, you're probably having an easier time winning it. And I think the difference is, and I know the numbers back this up with respect to the Purdy side of the discussion. You look at what they did, what Kansas City did coverage-wise. More zero blitz than I think the Niners had seen all year. More man coverage on the whole than the 49ers had seen 
all season long because the thought was they've got such you know mismatched nightmares between Kittle, McCaffrey, and Debo that juice check where you can line them up. You can take Debo Samuel and put him in the backfield and put Christian McCaffrey in the slot, and suddenly you're not going to play man coverage against that. Mm-hmm. Spag said, "No, I am. I'm going to make this kid beat me." And we saw what happened. Now, I think if Spags had that game plan against Mahomes, Mahomes was going to find a way to beat him because you think about some of the big plays late in that game, the 39 conversion, you know, to Kelsey late in regulation where, and I'm screaming it on my couch, like, do not blitz him. They blitz him and Mahomes beats them with it. Like, so could Brock Purdy have won that Super Bowl as constructed right now? Yeah, probably. Would Mahomes have won it? I kind of think so, given what he can do. But I think, yeah. You can still win a Super Bowl with a, and I think it's fair to describe Purdy as a Garoppolo plus because I think mm-hmm. you look at the difference between Garoppolo and Purdy. Purdy's more willing to push the ball downfield into tighter windows, partly because you know he's got Debo and Kittle and Ayuk, who doesn't get enough credit I think as he deserves. Yes. But he's still willing to do it. Garoppolo had those same players and wasn't willing to do it. Purdy can create a little bit more outside the pocket. He can create a little bit more with his legs. And we are talking about a guy that's just coming off his first full year as a starter. He's still on his rookie deal. I think there's still room for him to grow. And so, look, he wasn't the reason they lost that game. I come down, if you're going to make me plant a flag on the Brock Purdy discourse, I come down to the side of, is he an elite quarterback? No. Is he an upgrade from some of the quarterbacks they've had in the past? Yes. Can he do some more things in quarterbacks that, you know, like Garoppolo and others? you know, in San Francisco have done before outside the pocket and off structure and downfield. Absolutely. But he's not an elite quarterback yet. That's okay. We're talking about 32 people on the planet that get to this job. Like if you get to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, you're still pretty darn good at playing the position. Right. That's the nuance I'm looking for. Didn't have to be a party discussion necessarily, but I mean, I think it's understood that if you have those, you know, freaks at quarterback, your margin for error is a lot wider. But, you know, then you look at the 49ers where you blow a coverage to allow a touchdown. You turn the ball over. Like, yes, it makes it a lot harder when someone has a Mahomes and you have, you know, like a Brock Purdy. But it also hurts when your team is playing bad football. You know, I mean, Brock Purdy didn't muff a fumble. I mean, Brock Mm -hmm. Purdy didn't fumble the ball early in the game. Like, there were other mistakes that led to this. I just, you know, they could have won the game with him. He wasn't the reason they lost. Like, could they have won it if he had played better? Yeah, that was one of their other opportunities and pathways to win this game. But there were other things that went wrong along the way. It's just, you know, the error band with Brock Purdy is like this. You know, the error band with Mahomes is like the size of this room. <laughs> like, he can cover up all mistakes of roster construction and defensive mistakes and things like that. Which, by the way, not to wade into another hot topic, as Patriots fans, we lived through that too. Like, Tom Brady could cover up all manners of sin from – roster construction to defensive miscues to offensive plays that get blown up. Like when you have a quarterback of that skill set and that talent and that elite level, your margin for error is a lot bigger. And it's funny because I don't know if you've seen Dynasty yet, but with Brady, he was on both ends of the spectrum. Like the yeah. first couple of years, even Belichick said this year at a press conference, Brady wasn't Brady until like no. 2003, 2004. Right. So you saw Brady having to be carried by a great defense and a great run game where the defense literally said, we did like we're not relying on Tom. We knew we had to do what we had to do to win those games. And then as he got that support and got to grow and uh, uh, kind of uh, develop into himself, right. that's when he became the Brady where it's like, yeah, yeah, you can have the 2011, one of the worst scoring defenses in NFL history, but you can still actually be competitive. And, and, and that's be- sort of the dream, right? The dream for every organization is that when you find out, okay, this rookie quarterback can start. 
Okay. They're a base level NFL starting quarterback. The dream is that they then develop to the point where when you have to pay them, they can then cover up all the mistakes and, and cover up the roster miscues and the worst scoring defense in the league and things like that. And so that's what San Francisco's hoping right now. They're hoping that, okay, Brock Purdy is good, that we can win, you know, because of the talent around him. They're hoping that by the time they have to pay him, that he's come to a point where you don't need tremendous talent around him. Does he get there? I don't know. That still remains to be seen. But the Brady path is kind of the dream for teams. And then, hey, even Brady had to have a veteran ahead of him in Drew Bledsoe before he actually got his shot. So you mentioned like how Alex Smith actually took Mahomes under his wing, which is huge. Not just to have the guy be physically present, but to actually teach you how things are done. Joe Flacco, free agent option, has experience with Alex Van Pelt and had T.C. McCartney as his quarterback's coach in Denver is another guy who with Lamar Jackson, he kind of helped him along and has experience being in that role. So who are some veteran options, whether you want to go like a Kirk Cousins, where he's not just a bridge, he's someone who could actually probably make you a competitive playoff team if you put the pieces around him or you know then you kind of go down the line to someone like a Brissett or a Flacco who's probably specifically that bridge guy or even like a Drew Locke where you're like hey isn't too valuable now we'll see what happens so who are some guys on your radar that you think would be good fits in the veteran for agent market yeah I mean it's fascinating because you could you could see a world where they decide look we're just gonna we just need to we just need to fix this. Let's just go get Kirk Cousins. Like, like you can see a world where they decide to do that. You can see a world where they decide, look, we're going to kind of split the baby here and we're going to get like a, like I've had coworkers, JP Acosta, my dear friend at SB Nation. He's been telling me for months now, it's going to be either Gardner Minshew or Daniel Jones and Joe Walt to three and just be ready for it. And, you know, I, at first I almost jumped through the screen at him because I was just like, <laughs> no, do not put that on me. But I mean, I've gone from a zero on it to like a five out of a you know zero to a hundred scale, um, where I'm warmed up to it a tiny bit. We'll say that, but I just think, look, veteran options. Gardner Minshew uh, does kind of intrigue me in, in the okay. He can step me. in. He scares me. I know. Like <laughs> it's just and and this is all a way of getting to the eventual conclusion for me, which is draft the guy. Like like I understand the idea of okay, well. You've got some veteran options now, and there are other positions you could address. And really, you know, what what sort of opens the door to the veteran QB option is if you're looking at the difference between QB three in the draft and non-QB player one in the draft at three, the idea of a veteran option at the quarterback position and the best non-quarterback in the draft at number three overall you can almost see yourself leading towards the wall. Then what are we even thinking about? Go fine. Gardner Minshew and Joe Alt. Fine. Gardner Minshew throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. Sure. Sign me up. Like you can talk yourself into that path. A lot of it's going to come down to their evaluation though. Like, like they're sitting down right now and they're working through the film on all of these quarterbacks. And if they decide that, look, you know, we just QB three is graded to a point where they're so far below LT1, WR1, non-QB1, that it just makes more sense to us to start entertaining the veteran options. Like generally speaking, we saw the Super Bowl. We've seen how the AFC is right now. You've got to run through Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Like it's in the infinity gauntlet of quarterbacks that you have to go through now. Gardner Minshew is not that guy. Like CJ Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, like, Gardner Minshew's not that guy. If you've got a chance to draft Jaden Daniels and you think that he could be that type of player, 
and then just just draft them. Like I, I'm generally of that mind, but then when you come down to and you start realizing the mechanics of, you might be looking at QB three versus X, Y, and Z at other positions. Then I can sort of get warmed up to the idea of a Gardner Minshew or you know, Ryan Tannehill, like like other quarterbacks. Of course, there's the other sort of matzo ball handed out there, and I do remember being on a show with you a couple of draft nights ago when Justin Fields was on the board. Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. us <laughs> talking ourselves into Justin Fields and then going down the, okay, well, let's talk ourselves into Mac Jones. Like, I could talk myself into a, you know, fourth round pick for Justin Fields and then seeing what you have there. I don't know. I mean, there are obviously different pathways they can go. Generally speaking, I'm more of the mind of just, just draft the guy you want at three. But as you start thinking about a world where that's QB three and maybe they don't like QB three as much as the outside world does, and you're passing on a Joe Walt or Marvin Harrison, well, then maybe give yourself a veteran option like a Gardner Minshew and seeing what happens. The last thing I'll mention here is this. There's not a lot of buzz about next year's draft class. And, and that's the other thing to sort of keep in mind here. Now, look, we always get somebody that comes out of nowhere. Jaden Daniels is this year's guy that rose out of nowhere. Joe Burrow. Like, like we've seen quarterbacks sort of rise through the process. And so maybe somebody does rise, but you can't bank on that. You can't bet on that. And so, you know, if you're going to say sign a veteran, draft somebody at a non-QB position at three, and then say, look, if the veteran doesn't work out, we'll just do it next year. Right now, next year looks a little bit thin. And so that, I think, will weigh into their decision, whatever they decide to do at three. And that's, it's not just this year. Like you mentioned, it's also next year you got to think about. We're like, all right, this is why I like the idea. And as you also mentioned, the evaluation is so big in this. Because as much as I'd love to pull the trigger on a quarterback at three and just say, wipe your hands, you're good now, build around this guy. All three of the top guys have significant and very serious question marks. Yeah. Whether it's decision-making, whether it's size with like, especially with a Jaden Daniels, like you like his mental makeup. You like that he gets better every year, but there's also the fact that he's an older prospect who has processing issues and doesn't realize that he is Gumby and like, cannot yeah. be and he, some he of plays this. like Josh Allen, but he's not Josh Allen's size. Like when we see Josh Allen take on a defender in the open field, it's like, okay, well it's Josh Allen. Like, Okay, great. Jaden Daniels doesn't have that frame. Can he fill it out a little bit and maybe take that kind of hit in the NFL? Yeah, probably. But, you know, it's a concern. I, like you said, all three guys at the top have concerns. It's few that you, it's rare that you find the perfect quarterback prospect. And even the perfect quarterback, like 12 months ago, Caleb Williams was the perfect quarterback prospect. Mm-hmm. Conversations change. Like there are things that I, I, I think are – you know, reasonable concerns about his game on the field between the lines. I'm not talking about the other stuff that I know maturity and he painted his fingernails. So what? I don't care about that. Like I care more <laughs> about the decision-making in the pocket and the fact that there are times where he holds the ball, like seven, eight, nine seconds into a play. Patrick Mahomes can get away with that in the NFL. But as we've seen, Mac Jones can't, where does Caleb Williams fit on that spectrum? And so there are concerns and reasonable critiques of their games which the you know, scouts and you know everybody else in the front office is going to work through now. And so, yeah, it's it, quarterback drafting is a voyage of discovery. Like teams like the New England Patriots thought they got it right a couple of years ago. Sometimes it doesn't pan out. Sometimes it's, you know, the scheme fit. Sometimes there's other stuff, context and things like that that go into it where it just doesn't pan out. It's a roll of the dice no matter what they do. 
And so I guess I'll phrase it like this. What traits do you look for in your quarterbacks, whether it is like pull a trigger at number three, five, whatever. And who do you think kind of fits the bill? Because for me, one thing you talk about like pressure evasion and how well you are at manage pressure and things like that. And there's things you do on the field. But then another thing is, especially watching the dynasty and listening to how Brady was treated early on in his career, where like it's a totally different time. But you had like Mike Vrabel, I'm sure, making his life hell. Drew Bledsoe acknowledging they were making his life hell. Things were not easy for him. We know at Michigan, he had his struggles where he really had a tough time and needed some help kind of regaining his confidence and becoming who he is now. But there is that part of it where you need mental toughness. You need a maniacal desire to push yourself and be better and have that translate to how you treat the team. Or like even Mac Jones, like throughout the middle of the year, was like, I want to get back to being, you know, college Mac or Bama Mac where he was even acknowledging that I am not as confident and not as outgoing. So what are those things that you think are key to surviving and thriving at the next level? And who are the prospects that you've seen who kind of check more of those boxes than not? Yeah. I mean, I think sort of that competitive toughness aspect to play in the quarterback position is something that we cannot sort of ignore. It is a massive part of this. And I would say like, you can see, I was doing this wrong, right? See those white binders up there. Okay. Those are my quarterback notes from years of doing this. And in one of those binders are my notes on Dak Prescott coming out of Mississippi State. And I missed wildly on Dak. He was like QB 17 for me, that draft class. Like I had him behind Christian Hackenberg, like an absolute all-time whiff. And when he had the rookie season that he had, I went back. I I dusted off that notebook and looked at all my notes. It was old school, pen and paper. And I had written all over Taylor. Competitive toughness plus competitive toughness highlighted. I just didn't give it enough weight. And Mm. I think back to his game, his final year against Alabama, they were losing by like two scores. And here he is in the fourth quarter, like putting his body on the line, like trying to run over defenders, like making reads, making throws. And I had it. I saw it, but I didn't give it enough weight. And that was one of the big changes in my own sort of, evaluation process of quarterbacks because the next year one of the quarterbacks I loved was Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. They were my one and two, that draft class. You know, Watson won, Mahomes two. Competitive toughness was a huge reason why for both of them, in addition to the stuff that they did. Because, again, it gets back to that idea of Monday morning to Sunday night. That's the position. You have to lead. You have to inspire the other 10 players in the huddle to follow you. Like, it's a huge part of it. And so that's something that I often look for at the quarterback position because it matters so much. That leadership aspect to it matters so much. In terms of players that fit that bill, I think Drake May and I think Jaden Daniels, definitely. I And with Drake, one of my favorite games of his to watch was the Clemson game ACC championship two years ago where they're losing by two scores and they're getting blown out. And here he is late in the game trying to make plays desperately trying to get his team back in that game, getting hit in the mouth over and over and over again and still coming back. That was huge. You look at Jaden and what he's gone through. You know, the journey that's taken him from being a transfer to a Heisman Trophy winner to sort of – I still remember when he transferred from Arizona State and there was that video in the locker room of all his ex-teammates sort of going through and, like, Uh, taking his stuff. That was goofy. Like, imagine imagine watching that as a college kid, and I, I don't know if I'd keep playing football. What does he do? He goes wins the he- wins a Heisman. Like that's different. That's special, I think. And look, Caleb Williams checks this box as well. I think there are moments that people will point to, you know, after losses and things like that, and say he's not mentally tough. I see him fighting in the pocket more than I think he gets credit for. And I think no, 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 he checks this box. 
But I think, you know, Drake and Jaden really sort of checked that box for me. Now, look, there are other things. You have to be able to create off structure. You have to be able to find different arm slots as a passer in today's NFL. And I think, look, the Purdy McDuffie blitz play is a prime example of that. Like he had the throw. He couldn't get the arm slot that he needed to make that throw. Some of the quarterbacks coming out certainly can. You have to have at a base level, be able to put the football where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. But competitive toughness, mental toughness as a quarterback, you don't become Tom Brady if you're not mentally tough for all the reasons you walk through. Look, this is a position where you have to be a little bit different, a little bit crazier to play it better than anybody else, right? You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself where you can walk up to the owner of the team that just drafted you and say, as a six-round pick, pick 199, I'm the best decision you've ever made. You have to have that belief that nobody else on this team other than me should touch the ball on every single offensive play because I'm that good. You have to have the willingness to put in the work to become that player. So that's a huge part of the evaluation, that mental competitive toughness. I think a lot of these guys check that box, but Drake and, and Jaden certainly trans check it to me, given what they've been through. And it's funny because like all of this, and then as you also mentioned, system is so yeah. big in this. Cause you know, who's also a crazy competitor, Mac Jones, yeah. anything you hear is like tennis. He's the guy's like crazy. And then he works really hard. And it's like, competitiveness was never really a question with Mac, but then he comes to a system where the first year things go all right. And then as he keeps going, things collapse around him and then he kind of loses himself and you really start to see, all right, how do you handle that adversity? Where of course, like you just get, it's funny because we found out that Drew Bledsoe actually was in a very similar position to Mac where obviously had a much longer, more successful career, but Ernie Adams and Scott Pioli were saying, yeah, at some point he just started like, wilting under pressure because he kept taking so many big hits and he wasn't the same player. So all of these things in the evaluation can be amazing. But if you don't put these guys in the right system, give them help, which again, as we've said in the coaching staff, it feels like the Patriots are doing that yeah. because they give them guidance and give them different ears, but from a similar voice, because McAdoo and Van Pelt coach together, Van Pelt and uh, TC McCartney coach together, there will be a similar message, but also that support for a young quarterback. I think that's a great point. Anything else you got, Mark? That's all I got for you. I kept you for so long. But if there's any other nuggets of wisdom you'd like to drop, I'm all yours. No, I mean, I, I think the main thing to remember is, and I, I always stress this, like I've often joked that I'm sort of like the harbinger of doom when I come on team-specific shows. Because let's face it, chief shows don't need to have me on. It's like, hey, our quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, he's awesome. Like I, I laugh. I, I do get invited on a chief show now and again, and I'm always like, what do you need me to say? Like Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. But when you come and invite me on, you know, November, December for a team specific podcast, it's because things aren't going great at the quarterback position. And you want to get some insight on what could be coming down the road. And so I always stress this. The NFL draft and, and Taylor, you know, this is the world's longest, dumbest, most drawn out job interview like that you will ever find because these quarterbacks go from being the big man on campus, their college season ends. And suddenly it's like training for the combine media training for the combine podium sessions. Like all these teams, if you're a quarterback at the top of the draft board, they're throwing you playbooks. You're trying to learn this stuff. You're going on visits. It's this whirlwind experience. Then you get the moment you hold up the Jersey, you fist bump and chest bump Roger Goodell. And it's like, now you're the starting quarterback now for an NFL team. And the next day you're, at the city, you're at the, the facility, you're doing the, the press conference, you're starting rookie minicamp, OTAs, training camp. It's a sprint. And they're doing it 
Whereas when I graduated college, it was summer job, hanging out at the pool, then I'm going off to school in the fall. Like I didn't have the eyes of entire NFL fan base watching my every move, you know, scrutinizing every throw in OTAs. I didn't have idiots like me blogging it when I get a pass batted down at OTAs and suddenly, yep, Bryce Young's really small. Like there's a lot that goes into this and they're young men going to their first job after college and they're figuring out things like buying a house, house insurance, you know, auto insurance, like doing the everyday adult things that we get to do without the spotlight of an NFL fan base shined on us. It takes time. It's, it's a long process for these players. Like the developmental path is not linear. Try to have some patience along the way. If, if they draft a quarterback at three, I hope they get it right. They may not, they might let's hope. Um, Let's hope that they've put in with Van Pelt and everybody around McAdoo and others, the structure to have success. If they do indeed draft a player, if they go the free agency route and they draft a quarterback on day three, you know, we, we hope for the best here, but it's the game's hardest position. It's the hardest position in sports. All apologies to Ted Williams. who said hitting a baseball was the hardest thing to do. The numbers might back it up. Right. But when you are trying to hit a baseball, yeah, it might hit you, you know, but you don't have Aaron Donald trying to tackle you while you're trying to hit that (laughs) baseball. And, you know, when you're trying to like figure out coverages and make the right read and right throw and put it in the right spot. So I don't go out and Twitter or threads Monday morning and crush you for a bad throw. You try to do it with an Aaron Donald who's trying to put you in the hospital. It's game's toughest position. That's what makes it so hard to evaluate. Here's hoping they get it right this time. Amen, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure as always. I'm sorry to steal your line, but one of my absolute favorite people. Thank you so much for joining us. Let the people know, though, where they can find you and what great work you have coming down the pipeline that we should be looking out for. Well, at Mark Schofield on Twitter, at Mark Schofield 3916 on threads. I will say myself and JP Acosta, we've got a combined Kayla Williams, Drake May piece coming to you shortly where we dive into both of their players, film, the pros, the cons, the things we like, the things they need to fix. Um, we're going to do that with Jaden Daniels and some, a whole bunch of stuff along the way. If you're into F1, I'm covering that too. But if you're just here for the NFL stuff, look, we will have you covered. I, I will plug JP does just tremendous work. He's going to be dropping a yes. big board soon. He had a great feature that he did on Anthony Richardson last draft that he's going to probably replicate with some other prospects. We're, we're gearing up our NFL draft coverage at SB nation. Um, for you Pats fans that are tuned in, you know, burned and everybody at Pats Pulp is going to have you covered there as well. But the main thing is, look, if you're here, you're here for one reason, one reason only. And that's my man, Taylor. Buddy, keep crushing it. You're absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. So excited to see your success. Cannot wait to see what you do this year. Love you, buddy. Thank you so you, much. Buddy. Thank you all for watching. As always, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. We will see you next time. Peace, y'all.